enough of that. Welcome back to this week's Yawa. As you can see, we have more people sitting with us. Laura and Tyler, our friends, uh, dog aficionados, and German short hair experts of Kansas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very expertise. Yep. Today, we're going to do something just a little bit different. We're actually going to have the pros versus the average Joes. Wow. Maybe, you got average, maybe below average. I'm just going to get mediocre. <laughs> Uh, you guys know the drill. You ask us questions, and we try our best to answer them. And what we thought would be fun this week is to add a non-professional perspective, um, something that may give us maybe a little more light even into the meaning behind your questions or things that we didn't think about, and we get to hear them here. So without further ado, Kat is going to uh, read the questions because I'm not any good at it. Again, we had a ton of really awesome questions that it was hard to pick just a few for this uh, video series. So if we didn't get to your question, you can reach out to us on Patreon or ask it again next week. But keep in mind, too, some of these questions have been asked in the past on previous Yawa. So go ahead and check them out in our playlists, as well as if you want to see some more great videos, make sure you're subscribing. Subscribe. It's down here somewhere. Okay. Now, getting on to our first question. From Instagram, Rachel J. Pug, and if I mispronounce these, I'm so sorry, but... Pew. Pew. See, this is why Laura's here already. Uh, suggestions for first night home with puppy. Best sleep recommendations if they are crying. We are planning on a crate, of course, but want her to be as comfortable and not scared as possible. Our GSP will get to come home May 2nd or 3rd. Yay, that's exciting. So thankful for all of your training videos. Looking forward to utilizing it all. So what would you guys have to say about tips for the first night home with your puppy? We've had three first night homes, and the first night's the easiest night uh, because they're still tired from when you pick them up uh, wherever they came from. Uh, the second night, however, is what I'd say is the true first night. Um, and we're a lot of trial and error, uh, of course, the average Joes. But um, all three of our dogs have been different. Uh, our first dog is crazy, um, like <laughs> clinically so. And our second dog, uh, he, uh, we could listen. You, you knew the difference between his cry when he needed to go outside. Um, it was more of a whimper, and you kind of got him as soon as we heard that. It was almost every couple of hours. Uh, and then um, the third dog was also kind of crazy, um, and he did not sleep hardly at all. So uh, we keep them in our room uh, closer to us, and then we already had two dogs when we had the third puppy at home, and that helped a little bit with comfort level. Uh, they had a blanket in the, in the crate, but we usually tried to make sure, has it been two hours? They probably need to go outside, take them out, put them right back in. Yeah, uh, I can't really add much to that. That's a pretty good answer. And just if you... <laughs> yeah, what she said. What, what she, she said. Big, big contributor over here. And you say you want to use a crate, which is great. And I think that it's important to mention that if that's your plan, you got to start that at day one, night one. They're sweet. They're cute little puppies. It would be great to just cuddle and snuggle them in bed, but that's what you're setting them up for then. Then that becomes their expectation and the default. And then going from that situation to a crate... Gets harder. Yeah, a lot that's going to make it not, a lot yeah. difficult. Just a no, little it harder. Does. Exponentially yeah. harder. Yeah. We made mistakes with our first clinically crazy dog and um, in the sense that she would whine or she'd cry and we would go react and talk to her and try to reassure her and lay by the kennel. I mean, you know, all like crazy dog owner type things. 
And that just made her cry more because then we were responding to what she wanted and getting the attention. And we always kept her in a crate. So we never, we never gave in and put her in our bed, but, um, we kept her in the crate, but then we would go talk to her. Fortunately, we started obedience classes before we found Kat and Ethan and the trainer we used there. She was pretty knowledgeable about that and told us to knock it off. So well, we, we, did. we quickly did. did. Yeah. That's um, a really, really, really awesome point that you made there, uh, which was an initial mistake basically that you made with training. And it's one that lots of people do. You know, you apply human behaviors and thought processes and everything to the process. And you go, well, if I was alone, I would want to be comforted. And in fact, when they get the attention that they need, then they feel that that is the norm or that's what they need in order to go forward from there. So it does set up for more issues in the future rather than actually fixing, which is what you're trying to do. Yes. So next question from wit.bray on Instagram. Is it a bad idea to bring a puppy home at six weeks if the breeder gives it as an option? Or should we wait for the full eight weeks? It's so hard to wait patiently, especially during quarantine. Um, Do you want to start this time? Well, I know uh, taking them away from your their mother at an earlier age, you're going to have some issues with anxiety and stuff. Crate training probably down the road. I know we brought our first one home. When it was seven weeks, I think, I think so. and that might have contributed to her being a little bit crazy. She she was one of the first litter pups out of 13 that went home. Oh, wow. That's a huge yeah. litter. Yeah, it was a big litter, and uh, that also, I mean, being the first one by herself could uh, bring out issues as well. And they had never separated the puppies. Uh, they had always been together, and they'd always been with mom the whole time. So I think, you know, the the extra two weeks from six week to eight weeks. I mean, you guys do a lot with that time with crate training, and I, I mean, of course, it depends on who you're getting your dog from, what they're doing. But I think it it's actually huge developmentally. We've seen a difference between the dogs we've brought home at eight weeks versus her at six or seven. I would agree with you. Yes, I can understand that you're impatient to get your new puppy, and puppies are sweet and cute, and you just want to get them home, but. If you can leave them till the eight-week mark uh, to continue socializing with their litter mates and continue socialization at your breeders. I know for how we work with the puppies, we are working on crate training typically from six to eight weeks. Uh, the puppies aren't necessarily by themselves. They're with a litter mate, but they're broken up and not to have all of their litter mates all the time. And that litter mate switches up every once in a while. Um, and then we do other socialization things as well. And I know that socialization right now with new puppies has been a little bit difficult for people because of social distancing and quarantine. So once you get that puppy home, it's up to you then from that point on to continue their socialization. And it may be more, may be more difficult right now. Um, but we that's why we send our puppies home at eight weeks as well as it's a state law for us to not send them home any sooner than that. So that's also something you might want to check out. Um, I know that, that varies from state to state, but we have to keep our puppies until they're eight weeks old um, for to follow the law. Absolutely. The, the biggest thing is I think there's a lot of, and it's been touched on, but the specific things, there's a lot of development that happens in that time period and pulling them from the litter early, um, which that, is early. There's uh, some guys that wrote a long time ago that 49 days was, was, was some magical number. I don't, 
personally believe that that is the case. Um, Just like there's also been some articles written about puppies staying weeks. with their litter mates and their mother until 12 yeah. weeks. And Which I don't believe with. The, I also the, don't think that that's ideal. Moms are typically like done, done with their puppies between five and six weeks. At least our moms, they're like, okay, you guys are turning into a pack of wolves and a little <laughs> bit of this piranha action is happening. Um, and our dogs as well have really great temperaments. So they're not going to necessarily snap at their puppies and tell them no and put them in their place, which is what we want. We don't want them to do that. We don't want them to try and um, snap at their puppies for sure. But then you've got a herd of puppies that are just pestering the heck out of mom. And she's like, what do I do? I can't get away from this. And if you're forcing her to be with them till 12 weeks, I think that that could actually cause um, some other developmental issues, as well as those puppies starting to bond more securely with each other than moving out to their new forever families and creating that bond with their people. Absolutely. Great question. Yes. Next question from Dan O. Callaghan. I believe this one's from Facebook. Help. I have a 10-week-old female lab having a hard time getting her socialized with other dogs because of the virus. Nobody wants to let them play together. Any suggestions? Well, this was a perfect segue from what we were just talking about, and I didn't even, I didn't even plan it. I'm just that good. Um, so. <laughs> nice. I'll uh, also add Thank a little you. bit Pat there me on for the you. Back. <laughs> Thanks there, honey. Um, but we were just talking about socializing and how it can be difficult right now especially. But um, you guys live in town. We live kind of not in town. So do you guys have any suggestions? I think you were mentioning that your guys' dog parks are still actually open. Yeah, and we actually have a dog park in our neighborhood, um, and I'm sure our neighborhood breaks all of the rules for the virus. But, um, you know, we have neighbors with dogs um, who have been, they're outside. Uh, you know, they've got kids getting stir crazy. So they have dogs outside. Our dogs um, are three and almost five. And so they, they all play together. So that's one way. Uh, 10 weeks is still early, but living in town, um, our first dog, when she was on her own and we just needed her to have no energy when we got home from work, we actually took her to daycare starting around 16 weeks. So you're still too early for that. But uh, that's a good way as well to get them socialized because our doggy daycare uh, would send us kind of a report home if she had done something uh, that's not socially acceptable with the other dogs. But we do uh, dog parks quite a bit, and then now we have two, so we cheat a little bit. But um, that's what I would suggest is if you're in town or you're in a neighborhood and you've got any neighbors with dogs, you don't necessarily have to get close to the neighbors, but if the dogs can just be in the yard together, that's another yeah. idea. And I think that that's a, been a misconception with the virus is that the dogs can be transferring it right. from each other and then to people, and that's, that's definitely not the case. Uh, I have no fear that I'm going to be getting the coronavirus from any of our dogs or any of our client dogs that are coming in for training. That's not going to happen. Um, the only small potential could be like contact, you know, someone sneezes, but you're going to get just as big a chance from getting it from the box from the delivery guy yeah. or, you know, whatever. Right. I mean, the dog itself isn't, isn't a carrier the virus. of no. the virus. No, no. Correct. Right. And you're probably not the only person you know that have a dog. Reach out to somebody. Uh, and do kind yeah. of more of a one-on-one -on -one type deal. Yeah, springtime's so, puppy time. Yeah. Everybody's got a puppy. Um, we get tons of puppy questions. So maybe finding a forum or a neighborhood. I know you guys have a neighborhood Facebook group um, that you could reach out to. Even some of these dog training communities like Navda, sometimes they'll be able to connect you with somebody else that has a puppy. And also, just to keep in mind, socialization is 
not just interacting with other dogs and other puppies and other kids. There's a lot that goes into that socialization 100%. from just going for free runs out in the tall, thick grass yeah. that they can start getting accustomed to the new environments and sensations. Yep. Um, so it doesn't just have to be interaction with people and dogs. So if you're still struggling with that, you can continue socialization by car rides. Uh, hopefully you still got another vet appointment coming up at 12 weeks and 16 weeks, which that's all good socialization. See, I would say that even um, our personal dogs, everybody talks about socialization and gets worried about the things you just mentioned, but our personal dogs that are we're raising, developing, don't end up getting to go meet a bunch of other people's dogs or they don't go to those environments. We have dogs here, so they get to interact with those, but that isn't even what you're considering. You know, the they don't really go to dogs outside of our pack, if you will, um, typically till they're fully vaccinated, which is going to be 16 weeks on. Yep. And we don't put them in situations where, um, you know, dog parks or other dog uh, areas that are highly populated with dog stuff, like dog parks on the side of the road, or even just when we travel, if I stop at a, a gas station and I can see a bunch of dog poop in the grass, like, oh, this is where all the people let their dogs out. That's not where my puppies yeah. go to the bathroom. Right until they're fully vaccinated so that we can help prevent them from getting sick. So that's a good point. Yeah. Where you're at now is not really something that I would be worrying about with lacking in socialization because you should be doing other things, just like experiencing the world, if you will, which is still acceptable in most areas. As long as you're not doing it around other people, being outside is completely okay. So um, that would be more what we'd be looking at is some of the other things that they're going to be exposed to some small amounts of travel, even if it's just around the block, getting used to being in the car, and then to some kind of grassy area. I know that's harder in big, big cities, but some area that they can go and romp and play a little bit. Yep. So good question, especially very relevant with what's going on in the world today. Uh, next question from Sherry Brannon on Instagram. When do you begin teaching your puppy how to walk on a leash, and do you have a video? Why, yes. Yes, Sherry, we do have a video, probably multiple of them on our YouTube channel. So definitely check that out. Um, but I think this is a really good question because I think you're going to get a little bit of a different answer from the pros and the average Joes over here. And that's not necessarily because you guys are the average Joes, but it's more because of where they live. They live in town. There's leash laws, things like that. Whereas we live in the country and we don't necessarily... Have those leash laws so why don't you talk to us a little bit about your leash training with your puppies it's actually kind of funny just because denzel recently right uh like you said being in town i mean the first thing you want to do is take them on a walk in the neighborhood and the first thing they want to do is pull you throughout the neighborhood or sit down or not or, or, chew on their or leash. yeah or yeah, <laughs> yeah play tug of war with it or whatever so um you know early on just keeping them going is pretty hard but just encouraging them to move and to walk on that leash at right first. it helped having other dogs that were walking well, ahead of them but yeah and what i did with denzel is i just i had a treat that kind of lured him to keep forward walking. to go forward and um i didn't necessarily give him that treat uh until you know he he'd gone far enough yes <laughs> and he continued moving <laughs> and it only took five minutes i think no, yeah. and um the next time it was okay i don't want the leash i'm gonna bite it but we're gonna walk so um, it was a very quick progression and we had to, you know, put him on a leash. I remember sending, 
uh, them a video of this puppy. I think we'd had him two or three days and it had been a nice day in January that we went outside. We were laughing because he just sat down. And they said, well, to be fair, you know, we haven't introduced the leash. I said, well, we don't have an option because yeah. if we want to go on a walk, he has to be yes. on a leash. So until we can get to a field, we could let him run. But um, that's what I did is I used a treat to lure him forward. And then we had the two other dogs and he walked with them and saw kind of what was supposed to be and done. So how long did it take for him to go from the needing some encouragement to now it's like, whoa, Nelly, hold yeah, on. I'd say five it. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I'd say five minutes. And, and that's, I'm sure you guys can add more to this, but we uh, didn't encourage him to walk nicely. You know, he didn't walk by us. We let him pull as much as he wanted. For one, he weighed uh, 12 pounds at one point, but you know, he's not pulling our arm off. So we weren't encouraging the stay close to us, but we still had to keep him contained so he didn't run in the street or get loose and then we'd get a ticket. So exactly. And that's also what I was going to say. So when we talk about healing and putting emphasis on those leash manners, we always say we want to wait until we're seeing a bold confidence and independent search in the field because we're creating most of the dogs to be hunting dogs. We're training hunting dogs now, if you don't have a hunting dog, and we always try and mention that, hey, this isn't always about hunting dog questions, um, and you've got another breed that's not necessarily going to need to be bold, confident, and independent searchingly in a field, then you can always start that healing work sooner. Um, but we usually say five to six months old is a good start to actually expect healing behaviors. That's a point usually when they're getting strong enough and big enough that that pulling is yeah. wearing your arm out and you're like, okay, we need to come up with a solution here. Well, that's the age they probably have the mental capacity to actually heal and heal for longer periods of time. Be focused enough. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I have nothing to add. <laughs> we could just like cut the video off here. No, just yeah. kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Next question <laughs> from Joshua Allen, 2015, from Instagram. What is your personal opinion on GSPs with docked tails? Have you ever owned a GSP without a docked tail? In addition, do you currently dock the tails of puppies in your breeding program? I have something to add here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go for it. Raise your hand. Um, first of all, uh, tail docking is something that comes up a lot, even a lot more more recently in the fact that I believe it's been banned in a few countries because it's... I don't and know, there's quote, talk of banning it in some states. In the United States, in yeah, which US. is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and the reason for the docking is if you don't dock the tail, you can see what a short hair's tail would look like, and they are long like a giant whip. And Yeah, you can look at what an English pointer's tail looks like typically. I mean, it's going to be very similar. It is, but even most short hair's tails are longer. Okay. Which is... Which we don't get an opportunity to, to see, see all that often. Them, no, but... Same, same kind of concept. You've got a long, skinny tail with a short hair over the top of it, so minimal coverage. And you have a dog that's designed to run through cover and hunt and even more dangerous, I believe, than the cover and the hunting and that aspect of it is the corners within your In own house. house. And it's probably become a little bit more concerning lately because these dogs are becoming more of family more dogs. Family companions, yes. yeah. So you end up having this dog that has this long tail, and then you take the personality of any kind of versatile hunting breed that's excited, it's happy, it's upbeat, and that tail is always wagging. Wagon, 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 wagon. And they Whipping, beat it. Whipping, more like. Whipping, yeah. They beat it on everything, and then all of a sudden, now you have a tail that has a cut on it, and then that cut hits everything, and then it, 
your and house the blood starts is to look splattered like, everywhere. Yeah, it starts to look like a murder scene. And it can, as soon as it happens, I mean, it takes months and months and months to heal. You have to come up with some fancy kind of covering for the tip of their tail. and That um, they're typically going to chew off anyway. It, it can be very difficult tough. to keep yeah. that covered so that it can heal. And then the second it heals and you go, oh, that looks great. And then whop, they hit it on something again and it's that new skin. It breaks open again. So um, the, there's multiple facets that build into that that make it truly beneficial for their tail to be docked. Um, our dog's tails in our program are docked. It's currently the GSPCA's breed standard to dock at approximately 40%. Um, so we do it, and we do it for multiple reasons. The, the next thing, even with English pointers, um, there's a lot of those guys that started taking even just an eighth of the tail, you know, like uh, 10% off, so that they could knock that small whippy portion down just a little bit and still remain the more full tail look like a, the standard of the English and American pointers. But all of that for the same reason, because it gets beat to snot and um, you can't take care of it. So. Well, and just to talk a little bit about the tails that get continuously beat up and are constantly breaking back open and can't heal, they can actually get so bad that they have to be amputated. And yes. basically you're docking their tail then at a year, two Which years. Which is insanely more... It's a much bigger procedure. Um, and you've got much bigger bone and joints and things like that at that point to do when there's anesthesia involved. And anytime you put a dog under anesthesia, there's always a risk yep. um, that they're not going to wake back up. So doing this procedure that could have been prevented by docking the tail of the puppy at three to five days old, which is a very minor procedure, which we actually um, do by banding their tails. Mm -hmm. And then the tail actually shrivels up and falls off in about five days maximum. Um, and it heals really nicely and is really pretty easy on those puppies. Um, yeah, they're, they're completely healed in a few days. Yeah. And no. you're looking at putting a little puppy through that to prevent you know, a lifetime of problems with that tail whipping and hitting and breaking open and potentially getting such a bad infection or so traumatized that it ends up having to be Well, you look at other breeds that do on. have long tails and, and, and they maintain that long tail, like um, any of the labs. Yep, they've got heavy coats that cover and protect Much that tail. Much more protective. Most pointy-eared breeds have heavier, thicker coats like uh, shepherds or... Malinois. Malinois, um, any of those kind of things, but that short coat and whippy tail and a happy butt, I mean, it's just recipe for disaster. Yes, but um, you also asked if we do that for ourselves in our breeding program, and I kind of touched on that a little bit, that yes, we do, and we do it with a process um, of banding, and actually, we just had a litter of puppies, our Muddy Benny litter. I'm yeah. super excited for them, and we plan on filming an entire puppy I don't know, development video series of vlog style. And that's going to be part of one of the videos is tail day, tails and claws day. So Absolutely. be on the lookout for that video and make sure you're subscribing so you don't miss those cool videos. All right, guys, that's all we've got for part one of this week. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'm the guy with the pink gun. I'm Cat the Dog Trainer. I'm just Laura. We're just average Joes. Tyler. He's actually Tyler. You're Tyler. He's not average Joe. Tyler. Hey, <laughs> thanks, guys, and we'll be back with you shortly.
Nathan's even plugged in. Oh, he's not even recording. Yeah, we're recording now. Welcome back to part two of this week's Yawa. I'm Kat the Dog Trainer. I'm the guy with the pink gun. If this is your first time to our channel and you are watching this, uh, you should click down here on the subscribe button um, and turn on those notifications. Turn on those notifications. This is it. We have guests this week, guys. Uh, Laura and Tyler are friends. We're doing something just a little bit different. We are the pros and they are the average Joes. We're here to answer your questions to the best of our ability. And get a little bit of a different perspective. So let's get that perspective started. Let's go. From Mr. Danny Lopez on Instagram, I just bought two homing pigeons and they laid two eggs after one month. I haven't let them out of the cage yet. I see that both the female and male take turns sitting on the eggs. When is a good time to take a pigeon out to start training my six-month-old Brittany? Also, if I cross the wings or snip the flight feathers and play fetch, will the pigeon be okay to still breed in the future? What do you think, Tyler? You love birds. Uh, yeah, so. I'm a big bird fan. No, I have no idea <laughs> I have how idea. to. I'm going to leave raise this pigeons. to the pros. Yeah, we. I'm pretty sure that's against city ordinance. Anyway. There you go. <laughs> um, so to start off with, it sounds like you're headed in the right direction to have some homing birds, which is cool. Um, they are prolific breeders, so it shouldn't take long for you to have a crazy uh, inbred coop with just those two. Yeah, if you can get a few more homing pigeons to add to your coop, you're going to definitely be able to develop, like Ethan said, a pretty nice-sized coop in a fairly short order. However, when Don't you're... Don't play yeah. fetch with them. When you're trying to produce a homing pigeon coop, we use our homing pigeons for specific purposes in training, from yeah. our positive pigeon drill to homing pigeon courses. Then when we want to do bird introductions, which it sounds like you're talking about doing with crossing the wings or pulling flight feathers or even just clipping those flight feathers... Um, and you want to play fetch, typically we need to understand that these are bird dogs and there's a very real potential that that bird is going to be damaged and need to be dispatched or that the dog will actually kill the bird in this session. And we're training bird dogs. They need the ability to get on live birds for them to understand and not be startled by that situation when it comes up because it will come up in the field at some point. Absolutely. And if you can control the situation um, with a bird that you can make sure isn't going to scare them or have a bad reaction to then you're gonna set your dog up for success. But there's a very real chance that your bird may or may not survive that. Brittany's sometimes can be very soft, but I still wouldn't risk it with one of my homing pigeons. Um, so you may need to just look at getting some feral pigeons, some barn pigeons. Um, we call them kill pigeons because ultimately that is what's typically going to happen with those birds. So um, it was a great question and sorry I set you guys up for that one. I yeah. thought it would be kind of funny. <laughs> but here, here's a real next question. Out West Bowhunter, what is the purpose of the treadmill and how long and at what speed do they use it? So this is a great question. <laughs> the for you purpose guys. of the treadmill is when you come home at 530 in the evening in December and it's 20 degrees outside. You don't want to walk your dog, but it needs energy out. No, that's, we no, put, that's a really yeah. good way that it gets used. We put the both of our dogs um, on the treadmill most often in the winter, but we learned the treadmill from Cat and Ethan um, and it definitely isn't just about getting exercise physically, but 
uh, especially our, our female dog. Uh, she's got a lot of mental energy and it wears her out a little bit mentally. So I think they both actually do different speeds and I let him do the treadmill mostly because our other dog hates it. And I don't like yeah. to be the bad guy. Yeah. She doesn't like to be the bad guy. So I'm always the bad guy. And, uh, it, it really just depends on what they can handle. I mean, uh, one of our dogs can go five, six miles an hour for, you know, 30 minutes and the other Straight. one can't. So, um, yeah, the mental simulation is actually more helpful than just the physical simulation. Yeah, because stimulation. if you think about they're going five or six miles an hour for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, that's not really that no. long in the grand scheme of things. Because when we go hunting with our dogs, we're hunting two, three hours at a time. A Average lot of time. Way 14 more. miles an hour. Yeah, yeah, so definitely not necessarily a huge no. physical drain. Um, it can take the edge off when you can't get out when it's 20 degrees out or colder or lots of snow, depending on where you're actually at. But the mental stimulation of having to constantly focus, think about staying on that treadmill, especially if you can set up a cool interval program where the speed's yeah. changing, the incline is changing. Um, it's going to be a little more mentally wearing for the dogs that have to do. Um, yeah, and we just found a, a cheap one on, was it yeah. Facebook? It or? was Facebook Marketplace. Yeah. We bought ours. That's and, what I was going to say. Yeah. A lot of people ask, that's the next question is, where can I get a treadmill? You can use any treadmill. Um, and... Garage sales. Most Craigslist. likely there's going to be a, a potty accident on the treadmill at some point in time. So usually doing it in the garage or the basement or the someplace that's not carpeted. Yeah, because <laughs> you think about it, finished. the dogs get running and moving and things get worked out. When they're in the field running do, like that, yeah. they can just use the yeah. bathroom when they need to if they're on a treadmill or tethered to that treadmill. Um, that can happen on the treadmill and then it just... Going around. <laughs> also, I want to mention when you are running a dog on a treadmill, especially if you are tethering them, um, you don't want to this leave is them not unattended. A, no. We're going to go a 30 minute run no. while I go run some errands right. or something. No. Yeah. And it's not, you're going to do a 30 minute run. I'm going to tie you to this treadmill whether you want to or not. That's definitely not what we're saying either. Um, even though I probably could benefit from somebody doing that to me, but um, that's not it's what those we're using. Dang opposable no. thumbs. I know. Yeah, can we leave <laughs> one dog on knots. longer than the other? So yeah, because Ellie likes it more, and Gatsby, it's yeah. looks like he's been tortured while he's walking on the treadmill. Yeah, it's a it's a it's job for Gatsby. It's probably really tiring yeah. for him because yeah, like not mental as... levels. Like Ellie's super duper smart. Like. Houdini crazy smart. And then Gatsby is more of the dumb jock. No, yeah. Yeah. Simple. Dumb jock. Simple. He's very athletic, <laughs> but potato. it's definitely Only. hard for yeah. him to <laughs> think that hard for that long. Yeah. So, um, anyway, no, but the, the mental question. stimulation is huge. And it's, it's um, the first time you run your dog on it, you'll see. I mean, you're talking 10, 15 minutes, they're going to be out. Good question. We get that question about the treadmill a lot. So. And the last point with that, we actually have a video that shows you yeah. exactly how we start a dog that's green and then show you um, a slightly more advanced dog. So we can throw that up in the description below. We'll put it in the description. <laughs> that's where it'll be. Yeah. Um, anyway, next question from Instagram. Sky the Blue Weimariner. I'm a brand new hunter and I've got a 10-month-old Weimariner. And I want to learn, where do I start? Well, there's a lot of great places to start. Um, but I want to know where you guys oh, We started. started with Standing Stone Kennels. Yeah, that's where we started. <laughs> that really is what we did. We'd never had a GSP before. so Yeah, we never had hunting dog. I've never had a dog, period, before I had, my, had Ellie. So uh, 
You know, a lot of times you can stop moving the mic. Yeah, it picks <laughs> up every time you do it's like bong, bong, okay. bong, bong. Okay, a lot of times you can uh, hit up your local Mavda chapter. Yes. Or if you have friends or family that hunt. But, uh, I mean, that's be a good spot to start. Yeah, dog, dog training groups are huge, and I think it's a, one of the biggest resources that are overlooked. Uh, there's a ton of local clubs, no matter where you're at, and um, even in the, the big city places, um, I think East Coast, there's probably more Nabda clubs and more dog clubs in the East Coast than anywhere else. I mean, and you still are talking probably upwards of a two to three hour drive, but you make a weekend out of it or something like that, and you're going to get a lot of experience, a lot of exposure, and... Um, you know, it's getting a dog and hunting dog and being part of this, like, it seems like you're active and ready to be is a commitment. You know, it's not just a, oh, well, we might try and do some dog stuff this month. Yeah, it's definitely, you get out of it what you put into it. So, uh, there's a lot of great videos online. Uh, I would suggest our channel, especially if you're getting started with a pointer puppy, um, you know, your Weimariner is a pointing breed. So we've got a couple great series out on what we did start to finish with not only obedience, but bird work, how to get them started pointing in the field, birding gun intros, um, to shooting those birds over them and, um, some even more formal training than that. So if you haven't checked out the rest of our videos, check out our playlists, um, to get started as well. And then those local groups that you can go and put some of this to practice that you're watching these videos and learning from there is a really great start. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Uh, a lot of these people in these groups are very, very helpful and they want people to succeed with their dog. So, uh, they're going to be out there and they're going to go above and beyond to help you out. If you just ask, they're not going to just come up and do it for you. You got to ask questions. Yeah, And don't be afraid if it's a group. I mean, uh, us are recreational hunters. I mean, we don't uh, make a living out of it, unfortunately. Uh, But we, you know, we, we tried a couple of different groups that were not our fit. They weren't what we were looking for as new hunters, because as he said, we, I had never been uh, upland bird hunting. He'd never had a dog. And so we uh, found what worked for us. And now we've had dogs. We've had Ellie almost five years. So um, Google was semi-dangerous with a new puppy. So I, like I said, don't be afraid to leave if it's not your fit either. Yeah, go with your gut. And if you don't feel comfortable with what somebody's telling you that you should be doing with your puppy, uh, question that. Reach out to a resource that you do trust and see if it's something you should be doing. So. And the, the last uh, point to touch on with that, you go to these clubs and these things, and there's a lot of people there that are really willing to help if you ask, but be also willing to assist. I think that's yes. the number one mistake that people make is they show Don't up. Don't be a like, freeloader. Yeah, yeah, I got my dog trained. See ya. Right. Uh, there's no, always birds gotta, to be set, birds to be caught, things to be um, things to able to jump in and help with. Plan sure. to make a day out of it and go and learn by helping, learn by doing, and then get to spend some time with your dog. For sure. Um, next question from Josh Merwin on Facebook. I woe trained with a belly collar setup. All went extremely well, but she tends to break without it on. I'm positive she knows when it's on and off. I would, I could put a belt around her belly and she won't move an inch, but take it off and she creeps. Any words of advice? It's not every bird contact, but about 25%. She's a here and a half GSP. So a couple things with that. First of all, uh, you are working on this at just the right time. Um, we are just starting Legends Woe Training, and we're actually putting that um, 
video mini series, if you will. It'll be three or four videos probably. Depends how long it takes him. Every dog's different, so it will be a minimum of probably three videos. Though. Yep, that we'll go through step by step and, and explain exactly what you're talking about. And it just sounds like maybe there's a small lack of um, conditioning uh, between the belly collar and the neck collar yeah, stimulation Yeah, that points. transition from the belly collar to the neck collar sounds like there might have been um, an issue there. Translation. So. Yep. yep. So I don't think you're too far off, uh, but definitely um, take a look at the videos that we have upcoming, uh, upcoming here probably this next week. And they're going to be a lot of help. Yeah. And if you aren't already subscribed to our channel, if you subscribe, you won't miss those when they come out. So next question from Prime Short Hairs on Instagram. If we have plenty of quail to train with, but don't want to fork out several hundred dollars on launchers, what is the best way to run through, say, 20 live quail with my eight month old pup? The best way that I would do that is probably fork out a few hundred dollars for some launchers. No, I'm just teasing. Um, you have to have qual- you have to have quality birds, and that's the biggest mistake that that's I think I people make. Say. And not that um, everybody's budgets aren't different. I fully understand that. And people were able to train dogs a long time before electronic launchers, especially the quality of the electronic launchers out today. Like we use DT Systems launchers, um, very, 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 very good timing. They open the second you push the button, and it all happens right when you want it to. So that is. Um, it's been a huge advancement in training today, but it definitely allows us to be very efficient in our training as well and yes. make every bird contact count. Uh, Absolutely. And then like Ethan was saying though, the quality of your birds is going to make or break your situation if you don't have launchers. So 20 live quail isn't the same as 20 live flight, con- quail, flight yeah. conditioned quail that yep. can fly really well because if you're trying to train your puppy on those quail and there's an opportunity for your puppy to not necessarily point and they go in to bust that bird and they catch the bird, well, then they've just conditioned themselves and basically gotten um, reinforced for busting in. They got that bird, they got that reward. Whereas if that bird would fly really well and just fly off, then that's not necessarily going to have been a bad situation because that's what we do with the launchers. They fly off. We're, 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 controlling that flush but that's happening and the bird gets flushed and the dog doesn't get the retrieve and they realize hey i need to be more cautious next time so a couple tips with quail um they are probably my least favorite bird to train with but if you do these few things it's going to help a lot one um, you need to pick these birds up almost immediately from the time like before you're going to be training with them don't pick them up on thursday to be training sunday afternoon um, because your quality and health of those birds are going to continue to go down and down. Now, unless you have great flight pens or something like that that you're housing them in and mm-hmm. a good situation, but if you're crating them in a box, keep them in a box two or three for days. a few days, they're going to be weak and yeah, not flyers. good. The next thing is uh, fruits and vegetables. This is going to sound a little bit weird, but throw in um, either pieces of orange or apple. Or cucumbers, watermelon. watermelon, all of those things that are a, a waterier, a waterier, a word, a more waterish, pleasant fruit, vegetable. I'm making all kinds of words up now. Um, things like watermelon, cucumbers that have that really watery texture to them, quail love. So cut those up, put those in there that they can peck those, and that'll keep them hydrated and 
I would typically call watermelon, maybe it's a sugar high or something, but watermelon quail are crazy, okay? They're crazy. Crazy quail. Crazy. <laughs> um, but then uh, with quail, their second flight is typically better. So if you set the bird in one form or fashion, you can sleep them, you can dizzy them, you can tuck them in the grass, you can do all of these things. The more you handle them, the less likely they are to be quality flying birds. Um, I typically, unless I have very specific places that I need quail to be, I would recommend just flying a few out of the box and they may just like hop out and start to run. Uh, then bring your puppy into that area, work those birds. If they aren't injured, they're going to pop and fly and do their thing. And a little bumping and chasing isn't that big of a deal. Just don't be killing those birds that they're making mistakes on. So continue to work birds. Until, until you get, you get point. some pointing. Um, even if the point is short, you can start to reward that. That's not a huge deal. But uh, the key is, like Kat had mentioned, that they don't get caught. So if you're keeping those birds healthy, giving them some fruits and vegetables, if you have to keep them for a day or two, and then um, flying them out of your box so that when your dog interacts them, it's actually their second flight, they're going to be a lot better off. Good question. Next question from WDC Outdoor on Instagram. At what point do you determine a dog is ready to go on its first upland hunt? Tyler. <laughs> well, has it pointed any birds or have you done introduction to guns? That would be a, a big pretty one. big step there. Um, besides that, I mean, if you got a place to go, a 10-month-old, I think is what it said. Nope, no, that no was way. the last question. Oh, um, but they just asked, what point would you say your dog's ready to go on their first upland hunt? I, For me, it's the, the bird and gun introduction would be the biggest for me. I, We got our first dog. She was born in August, and we picked her up in October. So she obviously wasn't going to be going hunting that first season of her life. And then Gatsby was actually born on Christmas. And so by the time hunting season rolled around, he was almost a year, and we took him out. Yeah, um, it so, definitely depends on the age of your puppy, yeah. whether you get a winter puppy yeah. that's maybe uh, too young to start yeah. the season or a spring puppy, uh, a and, spring puppy yeah. that's got time to develop. Yeah, We didn't expect anything from Gatsby. He wasn't productive at all as a hunter, but we got him exposed. Uh, he figured out that pheasant don't stay in a launcher, you know, when he's pointing one. Um, and that's for us was as soon as we felt comfortable enough that we weren't going to ruin the dogs by taking them out and firing guns as we, we put them in a field. Yeah. And that's definitely the bird and gun introduction. Check that off your list as well as I would throw in recall, yeah, color yeah. condition to recall because you get a young dog out in these new environments, a new field, these areas they may not have been in and, and they go chase haywire, a deer. Yeah. chasing chase a, a deer, deer or chasing, yeah. you know, a hen that you're not shooting yeah. and then you're trying to get them back and then they get lost. That could be a bad situation. Yeah. So also a great, you know, recall would be a good foundation. If you have the opportunity to have had your puppy exposed to an opportunity to learn how to point, that's great too. But like we've mentioned dogs, bird dogs can learn to point on wild birds. So if they've never done it, but they've had the bird and gun intro and they've got a recall, start taking them hunting. Um, they may not be super productive, like you said, their first season, but they definitely can learn a lot from getting out there and being exposed to a hunting environment. So the checklist is bird introduction, gunfire introduction, and recall. Recall. I think he's pointing like right They're going to pop up right here. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. That's where I wanted them to end up. Okay. I got you, babe. 
Thanks. <laughs> Time for our last question in this uh, part of Yawa from Grant Wagner Zero. Would it be bad to hunt a pointer with a flusher during his first season? This is why you get German shorters. <laughs> this is not a me question. I don't think it would be good. You're going to teach a lot of bad habits uh, with that pointer. You want that pointer to stand still. So when it sees another dog flushing, it's going to want to join that other dog. So I think it's a very valid point, especially with a puppy. Um, like you're saying, I would agree with you, Tyler. First, first season, it's going to be better off if they can run by themselves. And once you get to the point where they will establish and hold point and stand steady, great. You can start to introduce that dog. Now I wouldn't do it on your hunt. I would do it in training situations and, um, it can be developed and taught with a dog that typically is steady enough by, and also understands woe has woe training done. Um, and then you can help them to stand there while the dog goes in and flushes. Um, if it's just you and your buddy or just you and you have your two dogs, just run them independent of each other. And then you have a fresh dog for each field. Yeah. But like Tyler said, and like Ethan had said, you're going to potentially create some naughty habits. And if you've got a young dog and it's their first time out hunting their first season, we want to put as much emphasis on the good things that we can put together for them than setting them up for failure and having that competition of that other dog getting to make those, you know, flushes and then getting on those retrieves faster. Uh, that dog is going to get impatient waiting and they're going to say, why am I bothering? This other dog is getting rewarded for flushing. Why can't I too? And we need to condition them at least probably for their first season of no, this is how we hunt. We need to stay steady on our birds. That's why we have a pointing breed. Absolutely. So, great questions. Thanks every guys for thanks. Thanks everybody guys. All this is why he doesn't also word. get to read the questions. <laughs> Thank y'all for tuning in for part two this week. Uh, we will be back shortly. I am the guy with the pink gun. And I'm Cat the Dog Trainer. And our guests? Laura. And Average Tyler. Average, average, average Tyler. Tyler. That's, his new, that's his new Instagram yeah. hashtag. I average wanted to Tyler. Yeah. Average Tyler. It's, it probably already exists. We'll, we'll be back soon. this time you're supposed to sing like hugh jackman you're cut you know, off greatest showman what what is it the greatest showman you don't do musicals that's how you're supposed to open this you're supposed to be singing <laughs> no no i don't i don't do musicals <laughs> no hugh who hugh who hugh who all right guys welcome back to part three for this week uh where we have uh, me and her that you know, the pros, and then our friends, the average Joes. The city slickers. You guys might know from part one and two. Absolutely. If this is your first time to the channel and you are just lucky enough to find part three of this week's Yawa, click the subscribe button anyway, and then search around to find the other two parts. Okay, we're going to get this started from Washington Hunting Newbie. In the past, y'all have said that you have made mistakes in your training. What are some of those mistakes, and how have you corrected those training items? I'm gonna um, have to. Dog. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have to to start. Oh, this, this is one definitely off. a question just for Laura and Tyler. I mean, we're professionals. You don't make okay. mistakes. Everybody, everybody gets one mistake.
go down the list, starting with Tyler, average Tyler. My one mistake. Laura's <laughs> gotcha. um, just just one. <laughs> just one mistake. Uh, I would say getting another dog too early. We love our two dogs, but did we get another dog too early? <laughs> one and so a half. It would have been nice to have a, a, another. Think this was a mistake. It would have been nice to have another year so or a year it, and a half. What's the age difference between your two dogs? Year and a half. Year and a half. Okay. So it would have been nice to have another year or another year and a half, like a three-year-old dog introduced with a puppy. Ellie at that would have time. left us if she had been older when we got a second dog. <laughs> <laughs> she would have given you guys up for adoption. Yes, probably. I, I definitely think that you've got some valid information there, especially we hear a lot of people that are trying to stack puppies on top of each yeah. other. However, you know, six, I do eight, think it's months. interesting that in the same family, we have two differing yeah. opinions on that as well. Um, you both agree that probably... A six-month-old puppy, oh, and then a brand-new yeah. puppy wouldn't be a great idea. Yes. Um, but it sounds like Laura's okay with the fact that they're a year and a half apart, but Tyler would have been okay with even three years apart. So. Yeah, just that extra year to develop Ellie, uh, yeah. the skills that we would want her to have. Giving her more Giving her 100% of our attention to those, where now she's getting 50%. And so we have to and that's do valid. twice as much work because we're only giving 50% of the – the attention to that work. Um, but mistake-wise for me isn't training because I can't, I really can't narrow it down to just one just because we've <laughs> learned so much from, especially it's, I, we don't have kids yet, but like probably your first kid, you know, you did all these things with the first kid, you're like, we're not doing that next time. But um, <laughs> is in selecting uh, our first dog. So Tyler knew he wanted a German short hair, had never had a dog growing up. I think had got on one of those uh, gun dog forum pages yep. and was going through litters of puppies and we're from here in Kansas and we found one about a couple of hours away. So we, we picked our first dog on color, uh, and we wanted a female. So, I, so did I. Uh, yeah. I mean. So we went, uh, we picked her up. Um, we had picked her prior to going, uh, and picked her up. Didn't really have a whole lot of questions we knew to ask, uh, the breeder and, uh, what to look for, or is this the personality that we want? Fortunately, we were young, we had uh, time for activity, and didn't have another dog uh, because she took a lot of energy. So I'd say um, not knowing what to do or what to research and just kind of jumping in, it's been fine now, but she was tough for the first year. Those are both really good, valid things because, like Tyler said, it's hard to divide your time between dogs, especially if it's not something you're doing full time. Like right. we have a little more time, but even us, I don't want puppies stacked on top of puppies if at all possible, because I want the time necessary to take each of those puppies and develop them and get them to the point where they're ready for less. Right. And then I can start a new puppy. Yeah. Absolutely. And then what Laura's saying too, like knowing what you should be asking and what you should be looking for is, is really important so that you get the right dog and you guys lucked out. I mean, Ellie's a nice dog. Oh, yeah. She's crazy smart, which is, you know, you think, oh, I'm well, I want thing. a really smart dog. Meh. Not you this do level. and you don't no. because she can <laughs> escape almost any crate, jumps out of the fence, jumps out of the kennel runs when she comes here to board and to train. So, uh, she is very intelligent. Yeah, we have never put her in an enclosure she hasn't been able to get out of. Even a Roughland R crate, she yes. busted the door out of that, split it in half, and she got herself out. So, have you uh, have you tried a lucky kennel? Uh, no, no, those no. lock. We haven't. No. Yeah, those actually we lock. Might, we might have to hook you up She'll with one of those. Break her teeth like lock? she did on her first kennel. Yeah. yeah, she's she's tough on herself. So, 
Okay, Ethan. No, 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 no. In order. (laughs) Your turn. Dang it. I was trying to get out of this one. Um, My biggest mistake was probably... Marrying Ethan. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. Uh, My biggest mistake was probably being um, one of those... (laughs) That was good. Um, Slightly poor time. I had to remember which button was which. Um, getting back to my mistake, uh, was probably feeling like I had to use vibrate for my dog when I'm working on more advanced things. Uh, we were to the point now that we weren't using negative reinforcement. I was to the point where I was using positive punishment and I was probably using the collar a little bit incorrectly. Uh, that's where the beeper collar story comes in. Um, and I basically would use the vibrate in a situation instead of stimulation because I wanted to be nice to my dog. He was my buddy, he was my friend, and I felt bad. Well, that was just setting him up for failure, Um, and he just kept making mistakes and making mistakes and making mistakes because I was making mistakes in handling, and Ethan was recognizing that I was making the mistakes in handling. Um, My first dog and my first dog that I was taking to advanced levels, and he said, okay, no more mistakes. This is how we're going to fix this. Um, and I switched from the 1820, which if you know what an 1820 H2O looks like, it's got a button on the side. That's, it's a DT Systems e-collar. Yes. Yep. Um, button on the side for vibrate. And then the 1850 is the exact same transmitter, but the button on the side is for the beeper on the <laughs> collar for locate. So we'd go out training, and I'd put my beeper collar now on my dog, and I had... Literally, I just was so conditioned. conditioned Uh, Myself was so conditioned that I use vibrate on him to turn him. I use vibrate on him um, for things that I shouldn't be using vibrate on him for. And so we'd be running through a training situation, and I would need to make that correction, and I would hit the vibrate, which was actually now the beeper, and it would go beep, 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 beep. And go, gotcha. Stop using vibrate. Stop using vibrate. I'm like, oh, I got caught. So exactly, I um, that allowed me to condition myself out of making those mistakes. It's um, also a, a very important lesson on how important timing is for fixing behaviors. Yeah, I mean that was a very the second you made the mistake, you like, went ah, I made the mistake. I made the mistake. Yeah. Um, so using vibrate in the wrong situation because I thought I was being a friend to my dog um, and I didn't think that I wanted to use stimulation. And now after many dogs later and lots more advanced training and handling and successes, I realized that there's a time and place for stimulation um, as well as using that positive punishment side of training. So these have all been very good and I have to go last now. Um, You did it to yourself. I tried to give you an out. I say, I would say that my biggest mistake is especially in the past and I would I would go to say that I'm pretty good at not making this mistake now. Um, I still get caught every once in a while, but trying to move a dog faster than what they're ready yeah. for. I'm a I'm a big fan of seeing a young dog get to go out and do things and um, I wouldn't say that I push cuz push sounds bad, but I try and push um, for more sometimes than what a dog is ready for. And I did that a, 
more, like I said, way in the past, and now I'm and uh, much, much with better. with our personal dogs because yeah, yeah, I'm like, all right, you can do more than this. Yeah. You're better than this. You can let's go do this and this and this and this and this. And they may not be ready for all of those things. And it's something that I see a lot of people that, especially getting into their first dog or something, they're like so excited about this process and they want to do all the things, and then they overdo it. Then you have a dog that no longer enjoys training because you've put too much emphasis on it. It's just like anything. Um, and not necessarily that um, just that they don't enjoy training. Some dogs are just not mentally mature enough and ready for the more advanced training that you've tried to in the past move them through. So the training that you're doing with those dogs is literally the exact same training from 18 months. And then you'd give it a break and you come back to that training at 24 months. And you're like, wow, I changed nothing, but let that dog get a little more mature. So and they're ready for that. Though. There's mental maturity involved in that. And then I would say the um, the other side of it is just doing too much all the way around. So Yeah, that overdoing it. Overdoing it. And that all depends on being able to read your dog. Now, this is something that um, we pride ourselves in, uh, especially with all of the experience and all of the exposure over the years, is our ability to read dogs and see what they're ready for, what the next step is, maybe what some minor mistakes that may be happening in your training sessions. And that's why we set up our Patreon community um, that gives you the ability to put videos of your training sessions onto the interwebs for us to watch and review. We take a look at them. We say, that looks awesome. This is where you should be headed. Or, hey, this is where you're struggling and this is why. And this is all you need to do to fix it. So, it's going to really speed up your training process. All you got to do is go to patreon.com slash standingstonekennels and sign up there. Next question from Sharon Breaker from Facebook. Do you all miss the dogs you have in for training after they go home? So though you guys have your dogs, um, they actually were fostering a puppy for us recently. So I thought this would be a good question for you guys to answer. I want to hear first, I know what Laura's answer is. Tyler, Tyler, what's your answer? I think my answer is probably the same as Laura's. No. We don't really miss it that much. It was a, a puppy, and so puppies are really hard. You know, they take a lot of time, and they're very needy. So, uh, As that, well as the age difference, too. You're we still had two in the house. You're, right. And what, Gatsby's just two? Three. 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 Oh, my Time flies when you're having fun. So you had that three-year gap. Right, we had the three-year gap, which was fine. But just the, the where we were in our life, just that neediness was not wanted. And well, so when yeah. and it went away, we were like, ah. Puppies are a pain. Period. Puppies are a pain. Yeah. yeah. And it's but just they like grow a, out of that. Um, but you guys never got to that but point. But you didn't get no, to that point. No, we didn't get to that no, point. He like, was oh. just about to that point when... We got him yes. back from you guys. So thank you for that. Yeah, the, yes. the owner probably is at that point right now. So. And he, um, you know, we our joke was that this is why puppies are made to be so cute uh, is because, and I think half of it was we already had two of our own dogs uh, that are um, independent and at the level where we don't have to expend as much energy. Sure. No, uh, older dogs, dogs that are like yeah. done and trained. Oh, it's so nice. And it's relaxing. Yeah. Each of our dogs have all, I mean, I'm counting the third, the puppy, have, we're all completely different dogs. And so, you know, we had Ellie, and we knew no different. You know, we had her 10 days when she escaped her first enclosure, and then it was just nonstop after that. And so, you know, that's what we thought GSP dogs puppies were. were like. And then Ooh. we got Gatsby, and I was like, this puppy is just 
fabulous and fantastic and the he most amazing. He never escaped his crazy no. ones. We put the Even broken if the door was yeah, broken. Yeah, we put the broken door on Gatsby's <laughs> kennel. Um, this just was within the last few months. Uh, and he didn't get out of it. Uh, so, you know, we had that. And then you get this third puppy and it added a totally different dynamic. And he uh, was super cute, but he uh, did not even require sleep. So, you know, it was, I enjoyed, um, I enjoy the part I like about um, hunting dogs. I'm more of the, the test person. And I think Tyler's more of the hunting person. And so I enjoyed working with him on um, kennel and uh, the obedience work, but he was like a piranha. I mean, you talked about that earlier, but I, I miss his development. That's what I miss about having him is what he was going to go on and do because I could tell he was going to be a great companion um, for the family as well as hunting and testing. And so that's what I miss about sending him off is that I didn't get to continue that development. And see what he could have become. Right. That's really great. Ethan? Um, I think it's interesting. and I want to touch on one thing that you mentioned as far as uh, adding the third dog changed the dynamic of the Oh, We talk about that a lot, actually. Um, and I never believed Ethan before because he'd always <laughs> said adding a second dog's no big deal, but a third is like a game changer. And then you can go into four, five, six. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. Once you've already got And yeah. I was third. like, that makes zero sense to me <laughs> until we got the third dog. <laughs> there, there is not a lot of difference between one and two. This is very true. But uh, once you strike into that third one, you've created a pack and that pack takes a whole different level of management. And then like like she's saying, I always say, um, once you have three, you might as well have 10 because it doesn't matter anymore. You've just got a pack of yeah. dogs, so. Yeah. And our two were not, it took them a while to accept the third. Yeah. yeah. Something and that new. is also a question that gets asked a lot. So I would say as far as me personally, um, do I miss them when they leave? Um, I think maybe more to begin with, but we've been doing it long enough that it becomes a true understanding. I, I get almost excited for their send home and not because they're leaving, but because of, we get the opportunity to show mom and dad how much they've learned. All how, of their progress. Yeah, how much progress they've made and how good of a family and hunting companion they can be now. So I'm almost more excited for the send homes, but not maybe necessarily for the reason that some people would think. Yeah, it's definitely... Uh nice culmination of all of our efforts and getting to see the progress that the dog has made and show that that can be handled by their owners. That's a really proud moment for, for us as well as we're proud of those parents, those puppy parents when they come out and they can handle their dog. Um, now I that love, we've I love that big grin, right? So it's like, yeah, Keelan and the dog's walking perfectly beside them and the leash, the and leash like, is this loose is awesome. and they turn and look at you and their face is just, yeah. And, and they're like, wow, this is, this I is never like thought this day. would be possible. Yes. So that is always a great feeling. Um, now, there's always a few dogs that just work their way into my heart. Um, a lot of the, the time, it's dogs that are from our puppy breeding program. But yes. also... She's lying. It's always uh, it's always a Brock Francais that works her way into my heart. <laughs> I, I bet it was say, Ellie. I bet it was Ellie. <laughs> you said Ellie home, and you're super sad. I was super sad that I would never have to worry about her escaping again. Uh, but... There's also other breeds and other dogs um, in the short hair breed that work their way into my heart when they're here, that they just have a cute personality that are just so much fun to work with, supernatural, um, that I do really love having and always tell their owners, hey, if they ever need to come in for a tune-up, I'd be happy to have them so that I could see them again um, and work with them again. So yes, I would say that I miss some of the dogs, um, but also I don't miss some of the dogs. Um, 
There are always some dogs that are a little bit harder to handle, a um, little bit needier in the kennel situation. Ellie. Um, and you are ready for them to go home when they go home. Wait, so, was that? I'm not even going to make the joke. Um, so I heard a cough. Oh, jeez. Oh, We're too close together. Yeah. All right, I went there. Next. So um, I can lean. There's definitely some dogs that I don't miss. Um, them going home. We still get as much as we can accomplished with those dogs, but not all dogs are necessarily created equal. Correct. So. Correct. Great question. Next question from Josh Judge on Facebook. As trainers, do you prefer a trailer or topper for transporting dogs? Sorry, mm. guys. We, um... <laughs> oh, wait. Trainer. You, you have an answer? I have an answer. Tyler is oh, yeah. like oh, I want to hear the answer. dream topper. I, I would go with a topper if I could. I have a company truck, so I can't get whatever I want. So if I had a personal truck, I would probably get a topper. Laura hates toppers. She would divorce me if I ever got a Oh, no, 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 no. See, you're talking about like a camper shell topper, like hard shell over the... No, similar to what you used to have. Yeah. A a topper with with two kennels in there. So the question question would be, too, that's a little confusing here. The box in the bag. It's actually considered a topper, and they make a dog box where the dogs load over the side. Oh, and it's, a, it's a metal yeah, box. Yeah, I, know so I don't know if this I don't is what he's that's asking. Exactly, I don't know. I'm going to make an assumption here, and I'm going to say I don't think that's exactly what they're talking about. I think that they're mostly talking about having a trailer or having some type of system in, in the, the back of the, the truck, back. whether back it's a slide-in like we have, a chassis mount maybe, um, an actual topper, or right. that topper that you've got. A fiberglass under. topper with right. that you yeah. can take the boxes. Out. Which we yeah. also used to have a system like that. We've, yeah. we've had almost all the systems. I mean, we used to train out of a chassis mount. Uh, we have had the slide in like we've got now. You had uh, a 16 dog trailer. We had a your big 12, tra- hole, 12 hole dog trailer before. And mm-hmm. then we also have had the actual fiberglass topper shell with five hole box slide in. slide in underneath it. So we've kind of been there, done it all. Now, I will say over the years, I have come down to what is I, is going to work best we for us. We go back and forth a lot. Go back and forth a lot. But the the long and short of it is a trailer is very convenient for adding space and making travel easier on hunting trips because you've gone with me a couple times this last year and when yeah. we pack all that stuff in the truck with just the boxes you run out of space quickly yeah. and you're going through weather and stuff like that so you have to get stuff and dogs in boxes and cover it's a pain. it yeah, yeah it's it, was a pain. A, it was tough so if you have the trailer that adds a lot of ease to that aspect of things. Now, at the same time, that trailer makes it very difficult to get around in small places. Now, some people are better at backing trailers than others, and, you know, there's that. Not but, me. No, 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 no. Oh, you're fine. I hate it, though. I'm sh- just, I don't love it. But when, uh, like, when we were in Montana, if I'd had a trailer, we'd have left <laughs> that truck and trailer in Montana. I yeah. mean, it was. It would have been stuck for days. Days. It was bad. The whole road was completely, I mean, check out our video. We had, we did a whole video on the Montana trip, and you can see there's one clip in there that we, like, plow through this. Uh, it was one of those, it'd be like uh, uh, water, shallow water crossing right. areas where, right. I mean, we drove through water to get through this, and there's no way that I'd have, I'd have made it through the trailer. So there's definitely benefits to both, and what we have settled on. Well, and that's what I was going to say. So we like the versatility that the trailer gives us for the use of the truck. Yep. But we also like the freedom from a trailer that a system in the back of the truck gives us. So there's kind of like we've been talking about a time and a place for each. Um, and 
The real uh, answer is to have one of all yep, of them. Have both. So, <laughs> all of them. Which so, is actually where we're, where at. we're at. Yeah. We um, have a trailer now. Um, it's a smaller, no 12 hole anymore. No. It's a six hole, but it's got some closet and storage space, which is great because you can never have enough closet and storage space for all your training gear, hunting gear, Equipment. all the things. 100%. Oops, I just hit my microphone too. Check out the video of Ethan loading a, a his truck for his trip down to Texas, I think. Yeah, it's insane. The and whole it, thing's like packed to the yeah. Between all the hunting gear with, and then with the video all this gear. gear too. Yeah. The video gear is ridiculous. There's almost yeah. more video gear than there is on hunting gear anymore. Right. Um, but then we have a slide in in the back. So where a majority of the places that we go, we can go and we can dump a trailer and then throw the dogs in the back of the truck to double go up a couple the of them if we need to, yep. um, because all our dogs get along really well. So that's always an option for us. Now, if Peter, who anybody that's watched channel before has uh, met Peter, he comes hunts with us. Uh, he'd be my other hunting buddy. One of my other hunting buddies. And, uh, the last hunting buddy will be on the show at some point in time. But the, uh, when we go with him, I mean, his biggest thing is he hates trailers with a passion. Absolutely hates trailers. He, does not ever want a trailer to have dogs in because he's always afraid of somebody rear-ending that trailer and ended up injuring the dog. Now, um, that's part of what went into picking this trailer that I have now. Um, the back about two and a half, three feet of that trailer is all storage space. So um, worst case scenario, or not worst case, but hopefully best case scenario, if we get rear-ended, it's going to kill my stuff, not my dogs. Yeah, but. and there's always a risk when you're traveling with dogs, even if they're in the back in a yeah. you know system like that, you roll over. Um, those There's always a risk to you, to your dogs, everything, when you are traveling, um, and you just try and be as safe as possible. Having quality equipment. This is where you know a lot of people I've heard say things about... Wire crates in the back of trucks. Are a horrible idea. Get, you know, even just no. even just those clamshells that you get from uh, Walmart, Tractor Supply, any of those those things are cheap. They just crack they and destroy. Into a million if you pieces. want it at the house, it's not that big of a deal. But if you're going to be traveling with them, expect you know expect for the worst so that you're prepared for that, and then um, everything's going to be better. We talk about like we have um, and have used uh, Lucky Kennels crates. They're uh, a really durable unit, and um, your dog's got a much better chance than that than they do in a, a, especially a wire crate or even those crappy plastic clamshells so. yeah definitely well those were some great questions i think that was a great end to our part three of this week's yawa that's it we're already at 24 minutes that's it wow if i ask another one i'll get dirty looks from ethan anyway so <laughs> we gotta cut it off guys thanks everybody for watching we appreciate all you all y'all all y'all that subscribe this is why he can't talk. everybody everybody we appreciate all y'all all um this is the end of our You Ask, We Answer for the week. I am the guy with the pink gun. I'm Cat the Dog Trainer. I'm Laura. I'm Tyler. Average and, Tyler. Yeah, Average and this Tyler. was the end of our pros versus Average, Average Joes. So thanks for watching and thanks hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, guys, for joining it. us. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for having us. We will us. catch thanks you guys. next time. See ya.